0: Galatians chapter 2, the title of this message is Justification by Faith Versus Legalism. Justification by Faith uh, Versus Legalism. Now, last week, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, Paul stood for the gospel, that that Paul stood for the gospel. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, Paul confronted Peter to his face And it wasn't really just a matter of preference. Uh, Really, what we learn here is that Peter was not in step with the gospel or the truth of the gospel, according to what Paul says there in Galatians 2.14, that there was something happening there that really caused a problem. And so um, if you were here or if you just, because it was two weeks ago and you say a lot has happened in the past two weeks, you just don't remember. uh, One of the things that was happening, there was a conflict because uh, there were some people that came from James and they went to go visit Peter. And when they visited Peter, they noticed that Peter was eating with the Gentiles and they were surprised by that. And so uh, Peter actually fell to some peer pressure. And so Peter actually began to separate himself from the Gentiles And he stopped eating with them, having table fellowship. And and doing that actually may have not appeared to be a big problem in Peter's eyes, but it actually ended up being a very big problem. When Peter separated from the Gentiles, he signaled that they were not good enough to share a meal before God because they did not follow the dietary laws set forth in the Old Testament. And so the Jews were still doing that. But the Gentiles, they never had the law. They never did that. And so when Paul was eating with the Gentiles, he was eating with the Gentiles, the same food as they were eating. When he began to separate out, it really kind of showed the Gentiles that they were not good enough because they were not following the dietary laws of the Old Testament, And so uh, Paul ends up bringing up this whole argument and really confronts him to his face because he was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, we should know that Paul does not bring up this conflict with Peter to kind of like pour some salt in the wound to cause some additional problems between a teammate and ministry. Now, remember, Peter is an apostle to the Jews and Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. Really, their focus is the gospel and spreading the gospel as God has commissioned them. So these guys are partners in ministry. Paul does not bring this up to create some some additional problems, but really what he wants to communicate and communicate to the church and even communicate to us, that sometimes in our Christian life, we change things that seem very insignificant but we don't realize the consequences of those changes. And so Peter, by peer pressure, separated from the Gentiles. In his mind, he didn't think it was that big of a deal. But you know what? As Paul points out, it actually was a bigger deal than Peter thought it was because it communicated something that was untrue about the gospel. And so Paul really... um, confronts and stands for the gospel. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, we also talked about Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the reformer of the 16th century. The reason why I say that is because I went to a public school kindergarten through 12th grade. I learned about Martin Luther King Jr. every year in the public school. When I went off to Bob Jones, I began to hear about Martin Luther, the 16th century uh, reformer who was a monk. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't remember Martin Luther King Jr. being a monk. And then I realized that those two people were two different people. My church growing up, we never really talked about the Reformation. We never really talked—at least I don't remember—about Martin Luther. Um, and yet, when I went to college, we talked a lot about Martin Luther and the Reformation. And so uh, I was a little confused. Don't worry, I very quickly uh, got the idea that these are two different individuals. And so just in case you were here last week, and maybe you have the same background as me, and you said, oh, I didn't know that Martin Luther King Jr. was a monk. No, Martin Luther King Jr. was not a monk. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, uh, was a monk. And so uh, he, conf- he was really... Um, confronted with the gospel, and uh, he began to look at the Roman Catholic Church, and he began to realize these things um, are not uh, correct. Now, why do I bring Martin Luther up? Because Martin Luther loved the book of Galatians. He loved. Let me, let me tell you some of the things that Martin Luther said about the book of Galatians. He said he called it my own epistle. He called it my Katie von Bora. Now, Katie was his beloved wife. As he thought about the book of Galatians, he put it like on the same plane as his wife. He loved Galatians as much as he loved his wife. And so he was a man who truly did love this letter to Galatia. Matter of fact, um, uh, later on in his life, as as his life was uh, coming to an end, he wanted to put together all of his writings in Latin. And he said this, if they took my advice, they would print only the books containing doctrine like Galatians. And so uh, really, as he thought about Galatians, and, and I don't remember, I, I think I read it somewhere. Um, and so maybe someone could tell me afterwards if they remember more correctly. But uh, w- when he actually went back and, and translated uh, the Bible, he put Galatians like in the front because Galatians was so important to him. He saw it as really fundamental to our Christian faith. And so what we are studying today is not just some side idea, but really reformers and Christians uh, through generations have looked at Galatians as really fundamental to our Christian faith. And we're going to see why Galatians is so important to Martin Luther when we look at something that we're going to look at today. And 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 I believe that when he began to study Galatians and he stumbled onto what we're gonna study today, that these things stood out to him as well. So we're gonna start here in Galatians chapter two. We're just gonna read a couple of verses in verse 20 and 21, the end of chapter two. And so I'll have you stand of respect for God's word. And again, this is Galatians chapter two, verses 20 and 21. This is the end of Galatians chapter two. And it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. All right, let's stop there we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for an opportunity to gather as your people to study your word. And we think about our passage today and and, uh, really being crucified uh, with Christ and and living through you. And I pray, Lord, uh, that first of all, if we're Christians here today, that we would not seek to try to earn our way to heaven through legalism, but that we would be Christians who are justified by faith and faith alone, that we would put our faith and trust in the work of the cross. But also, Lord, there might be someone here as we discuss the, this idea of, of uh, justification by faith versus legalism, and there may be somebody here that has been trying to earn their way to heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up their heart and their mind today to the gospel, the gospel of the word of God, the gospel that Paul preaches to us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet with us. Use your word as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we dive into this topic of justification by faith versus legalism, uh, we do need to define some terms, all right? The very first term that we need to define is what is justification? Justification is the idea of declared righteous. In a biblical sense, it is God declaring righteous. And so the root word means counted righteous or declared righteous before God. And so when we say justification by faith, this is what we mean. And I gave this illustration, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, something like that. But what we're talking about is justification by faith. This is what we are saying. I believe that Jesus Christ left heaven and he came down to man. And he lived under the law and yet never once made a mistake. And then he died in my place. And when I put my faith and trust in what he has done, the fact that he came down from heaven, the fact that he lived in my place, the fact that he died in my place, when I by faith believe that, there's an exchange that happens. And so my sin is placed upon him. His righteousness living under the law. Is placed upon me. Now, when God sees me, he does not see me in my sin. My sin has been paid for all of it. The work was finished. Instead, when he sees me, he sees me through Christ. And so that is justification by faith. All right. So now what we need to do is we need to define legalism. All right. Legalism is earning favor with God. All right, Earning favor with God. Now, I do need to point out that there is a lot of different ideas about legalism. Matter of fact, there, were, there, there may be some Christians that would look at Wilton Christian School. We celebrated Wilton Christian School uh, last week. There might be some people that look at Wilton Christian School and say, we are a legalistic school. Now, why would they say that? Well, we have a dress code for our students. All right, they have to wear certain appropriate attire. They need to like be clean shaven. They need to have a certain type of haircut. They can't have any crazy colors. People can't come to school with, like pink hair or purple hair. And so, there's some people that would look at that and say, "Why are you oppo- Why are you um, putting on them all of these regulations? Just let them be who they want to be." So they might say that we are legalistic, or maybe that our students go to chapel, they must go to chapel every week. So maybe they would say, well, Wilton Christian, you're just legalistic. And that's how some people view the word legalistic. Matter of fact, they would say, maybe we're legalistic because maybe we have a tie on or maybe we have a dress on. And they would say, why do you even do that? Why do you dress nice to go to church? And so they would say, maybe you're legalistic. And uh, so that's one way that legalistic is used, but that is not the correct way, all right? That is simply saying that you have different standards than I do. And obviously, we all have different standards than each other. Even if you say, my standard is I have no standards, that's a standard, all right? We all have standards. We all stand upon a position. Whether we have standards or we say we have no standards, we, we still stand on a position. And so that is not the correct way to define legalism. Matter of fact, uh, standards is not wrong. Good standards are good. But righteous le- legalism is this. It focuses on obedience to the law or moral codes based on the assumption that such obedience is a means of giving, gaining favor with God. That is what legalism is. It is when I begin to do things in my life to earn favor with God. I want God to love me more. I want God to look at me better. So what I'm going to do is I'm gonna change my life so that he will love me more so that I can earn his favor. That is what legalism is, all right? Good standards is not legalism. I have three wonderful girls and you know what? One day they're gonna grow up and they're gonna go to college and they're gonna start dating. And you know what? I want them to have good standards when they start dating, all right? Because I love them. Good standards are not bad. But there's a fine line between trying to honor God with our life and trying to earn God's favor with our actions. And so Paul brings this up because really this is the question here today. This is the whole debate about whether or not you can eat particular foods or not eat particular foods. This is what what Peter was signaling to the Gentiles that because you're not doing these things, God does not see you in the same way he sees us. Therefore, we're not gonna sit down and have food with you. And that was a form of legalism, that I'm trying to earn favor with God. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know uh, why you come to church, why you dress the way that you dress, the, the type of things that you do at home, I don't know. But hopefully today, as we open up the word of God, we're gonna see very clearly that legalism is not the way to God, all right? Having rules are okay. But if we're trying to earn favor with God, we have crossed that line. That is when it gets into an area of not being okay. And so uh, there is a fine line between desiring to honor God and trying to earn favor with God. And uh, we see kind of Paul's conclusion here at the very end of verse 21. And he says, really, if we could earn our way to God, and this is his conclusion, if we could earn our way to God, then Christ died for no purpose. All right. And so he says, you know what, if legalism is really the way that we should be going down, then Christ did not have to die. Matter of fact, his death has no purpose. And so as we're going to study today, we're going to see that that is not the case, that Christ's death was very purposeful and very important both to Jews and Gentiles and really to the whole world. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. First of all, we're going to see that uh, Peter starts a series of contrasting ideas. All right, To make his argument, this idea of of legalism versus justification by faith, he makes a series of... um, contrasting ideas. The very first contrasting idea that we see is law versus faith, all right? We see this in the very first verse, and so in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, and we looked at this a little bit last week, but uh, what he is pointing out here is, is the Jews here, they represent observing the law. They, are, they represent justification by observing the law, All right. And so if you remember under the Old Testament uh, covenant uh, that they had certain things that they had to do. And so they fulfilled those things. And so they had the law. They knew what was right and what was wrong. Okay, so that is group number one. That is the law that is represented as the Jews. And then we have and not Gentiles. This is actually the group that represents justification by faith. The Gentiles never had the law, all right? God did not give the Gentiles the law. God gave the Gentile, the, uh, the law to the Jews. And so really the way that the Jews looked at the, at the Gentiles were these people are sinners by default because they never even knew the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. They just went and did them. They never even knew. By default, they're sinners, and so we see this, this contrasting idea here between Jews who had the law and really their desire was to be justified by observing the law. And then we also had the Gentiles that did not have the law and they were justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We, we further see this idea in the very next verse. So notice there in the very next verse it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in, in Jesus uh, Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one can be justified. So, so again, Paul is contrasting two ideas here. The very first one is law, all right? And so we see that in the very first part of verse 16 yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but through Jesus Christ all right so that's the very first thing that Paul points to and um, Paul makes it very clear this morning to us that justification that is our position before God as innocent cannot come through the law it cannot come through the law and so he he further like just in case there's any question there the very last part of verse 16, makes it very clear. Notice again, by the works of the law, and then he says no one will be justified. This idea of no one means no human being, no one in mankind. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter. No one can be justified by the works of the law. So by the works of the law, no one, that is no human being will be justified. And so Paul makes this very clear. if we are trying to earn our way to God, Paul says, that is the wrong way for there is no one on earth, no one in humankind that can make their way to God, that can be justified by the law. So maybe your question is, well, why did God? Give the law in the first place. Why did he give the law to the old uh, to to the Jews in the Old Testament? Why did he do that? Well, the law was really supposed to be a list of things that point to our failures. It was supposed to show us that we are broken, and it did. for For Israel, it did show that they were broken. They, they obtained this list that was more than just the Ten Commandments. It was a lot. And, and they began to live their life for this. And, and God said, if you do all of these things, you can have a relationship with me. But you know what? The people broke the law over and over and over again. But God did not judge them because they broke the law the first time. Instead, what he did is he made a way for them to continue in their relationship with him, even though they had broken the law. What did he do? Well, he allowed there to be a covering for their sin. Israel didn't just follow the law. What they also did is they had to sacrifice regularly to cover their sin. And so really the law pointed to this for for Israel. We want to do these things that God has told us to do, but we fail to do these things but God has given us hope. If we sacrifice this lamb, it will cover our sin. And so they did this regularly to cover their sin. Both the sacrifice and the law pointed to Israel, we are broken people and there's no way that we could do this, we need help. And so that's what the law was supposed to communicate. But instead, what people began to think is, you know what? I can earn my way to heaven. If I just do all of these things, then I can be right with God. I can earn my way to heaven. And that was never really supposed to be the case. Really, what it was supposed to be is the fact that they are broken individuals who need help. That animal sacrifice, one of the penalties, and we find this out in Genesis, that God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely what? Die. That was the penalty for sin, death. And what we find is that God says the same thing to Israel, that there is a penalty for your sin, and that is an animal must die in your place. You deserve death but I'm gonna allow this animal to die in your place. It was a temporary covering and then they would break the law again and they would have to do another sacrifice, all right? So that is the law. It was really to point them to the fact that they are individuals that need help. And so Paul says, we as mankind are unable to earn favor with God through the law. Instead, the law really points to the fact that we are Broken, and this is where God's grace steps in. Justification comes through faith. So that's the second thing that we're going to look at. Uh, the um, the um, other ideas we have: law versus faith here, and so a uh, faith is that second part. And we see this in the middle of verse sixteen. And so you're notice there in the middle of verse sixteen. So we also have believed in. Uh, Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And so how are we to be justified, does Paul tell us? Well, in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And so Paul is trying to communicate both to the church of Galatia, he's trying to communicate uh, to Peter and and to uh, the Jews that thought, you know what, I can earn my way if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and then I do all of these things, God's going to be more pleased with me that I will earn his favor, and Paul is communicating this, that actually his favor is earned through faith. We are justified by faith. Again, that's that picture of the exchange, that Jesus Christ lived in my place, and when I put my faith and trust in him, my sin is applied to him on the cross. His righteousness is applied to me. Now I live not through trying to earn my way, but instead my way has already been paid for. Someone else has earned it in my place, and that is Jesus Christ. And so justification is by faith in Christ, not in faith in the law, not in the works of the law, not trying to turn over a new leaf or be a good person or uh, be a good neighbor or be loving. Uh, It is through Jesus Christ. That is the only way. And really what was pointed to in the Old Testament, and so remember, we talked about this idea that, that Israel was given the law and then they would break the law, and then regularly they would have to sacrifice. Well, that pointed to the savior of the world, that perfect substitute. In the Old Testament, that animal covered their sin. It was the substitute that God said was available to them, but it pointed to a greater substitute. It pointed to the fact that a man was going to die for mankind. Matter of fact, what is recorded for us in the gospel of John is this, and this is this is spoken by John the Baptist about Jesus Christ, and he says this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, takes away the sin of the world. What Jesus Christ did, what he accomplished there on the cross was not a covering for our sin. It was a Removal of our sin. Now, let me tell you why those two things are important or why uh, removing is important. For Israel, when they broke the law, they needed their sin to be covered again. And then they would break the law and they needed their sin to be covered again. If Jesus Christ simply covered our sin, guess what? We would still be under the law and we would need Jesus Christ to die for us regularly over and over and over and over again because today we still sin. But that is not the case when we talk about Jesus Christ. He did not just cover sin. He removed sin, which means once he died for us, he took upon the sins of the world. It was finished. Matter of fact, that is what he says it is finished there is nothing more that i need to do to earn a relationship with god because jesus christ has done it all the work of the cross was complete that when and when we say finished when we say complete we're talking about past sin we're talking about present sin and we're talking about future sin. Now when we talk about the law and we talk about the covering, it 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 did the present sin and going back, but it did not cover the future sin. And so they would live life and they'd make mistakes, and they would have to sacrifice again to cover that sin. And then then they would live their life and they'd make mistakes, they would sin, and then they would have to sacrifice again to cover that sin. But when Jesus Christ died in our place, He covered sin going back, our present sin, and our future sin. And obviously, Christ died in all of our pasts, which means that all of our sin was future to him. And so, Christ in that covering is not a temporary covering, but a complete covering. And again, that's why Paul is is drawing a line here and he's saying, okay, folks. Let's think about this. Let's think about trying to get to God through the works of the law versus trying to get to God through faith in Jesus Christ, justification through faith. He says, this thing will not get us there, but this thing will. And really, Jesus Christ is the only way. And so really, it's not about our obedience to the law but really it's about our faith in the work of the cross. And so justification is not found in obedience to the law. Justification is found in faith. And so Paul anticipates the next question. And so he brings up the next question. If justification isn't found in obedience to the law, then it must be found in rebellion. All right, so we're gonna contrast these two ideas, rebellion versus faith. And so we see this in his very next statement here. His very next statement in verse 17, he says this, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, that is justified by grace, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. And so Paul brings up this idea, if we say we are no longer under the law, are we Rebels. Are we rebels? Are we rebelling against God? Remember, the Jews didn't want to be contaminated by the sins of the Gentiles, so they didn't eat with them. Matter of fact, that's what the the peer pressure that Peter fell to. That they were eating things that were not correct under the dietary law of the Gentiles. And the Jews, they continued to eat the things that were told to them to eat. And so they did not want to mingle with these people over here because they would be found in sin. And so Paul brings this idea up. And and sometimes we as Christians, maybe um, we do the same thing because we're not innocent of this. Sometimes we think to ourselves, and we brought this up a couple of weeks ago, that we as Christians, we want to give God honor, which means that maybe we cut off all contact with unsaved people because we don't want them and their sin to contaminate us. But we really just need to realize we're already contaminated from our own sin right it's not because of them it's because of our own flesh and that's why we need help that's why we need god to to uh uh, empower us uh, to live for him it's not through self-power or cutting off relationships uh, but it's really in submission to the lord allowing him to change our lives anyways uh, faith in christ uh, brought both the jews and the gentiles together in the church And remember the Jews had the law, they saw themselves as pretty good. The Gentiles they saw as sinners by default because they didn't have the law. And yet Jesus Christ bought both of these people groups, people who were sinners by default and people who were following God's law and he brought them together into the church. And it is the same today, all right? There's not a way for Jews to be saved and a way for Gentiles to be saved. Instead, Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way, and that is through faith, justification by faith. And so Paul brings up this idea that if Jesus, if Jesus has brought us together and these people, because they don't follow the law, are sinners by default, then has he brought them in to serve sin, And that's the question that Paul asks. And then he answers it. Certainly not. That Jesus Christ is not here to serve sin. Matter of fact, he died to free people of their sin. That's why we can come together. And so there was this misconception that if we do these things, that we can earn our way to God, that it's like, like a, a ladder or, or a set of stairs. And, and the more we do, the higher we get to God. And, and hopefully we get all the way up there if we do all of these things. Paul says, no, Jesus Christ died for all of our sin. So it's not us climbing a ladder or us climbing a staircase, but instead it is all Jesus. That brings us to the Lord. And so Paul brings that idea up that we are, that, that uh, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not, all right? Instead, he died for sin that we might be free. We have, give, he has given us uh, freedom. And then look at uh, verses 18 and 19 there, it says this. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, when I first read that, I kind of scratched my my head and I think, well, what does Paul mean by this? What is, he gives us a couple of pictures here. He says, if I rebuild what I've torn down. Now, well, immediately when I think of rebuilding something that's been torn down, I think maybe like a, a wall, maybe like a wall of of protection. I think about like Nehemiah and the wall was was uh, destroyed and Nehemiah goes back and he builds the wall around Jerusalem. But what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about building another list in which we must follow to earn favor with God. And he says, and in a way Paul says this, we have torn that down. If I was to create another list if I was to create another list of things that you had to do as a Christian, then what I would be doing is simply proving to you again and again, that we transgress God's law, that we are sinners. And then he goes on to say, for the law, uh, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He says, you know what? The law is no longer my focus. trying to rebuild a list of do's and don'ts is no longer my focus. My focus is living for God. Well, this brings up a a question. Is lists wrong? If, If we have a list as a Christian, is that a wrong thing? Is that sinful? Is that what Paul is talking about? If we build for ourselves a list, are those things wrong? And I would say, no, a list is not wrong. Matter of fact, Uh, Look, I'm not going to put it up on the wall there, but uh, turn over, turn back to Galatians chapter 5. So just um, probably a couple pages for yourself. Galatians chapter 5, and look at verse 19. I want to give you an illustration that Paul says this idea of not rebuilding something he's torn down, but that is in connection to the law and the requirements of the law, but not just a simple list. And we see that he uses list here, even in this book of Galatians. So this is chapter five, starting in verse 19. And notice, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he gives us a list, a list of the works of the flesh. And then he ends that with, in verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives us a list, and then he gives us another list right after that list, verse twenty-two. But this is the fruit of the uh, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so to say that we just throw out lists altogether, I don't think that that is the right idea. But there is that fine line between having a list and trying to earn our way to heaven and instead living in such a way that we wanna bring honor to God. And Paul says, we should live by the spirit, that we should have the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And then he lists what that looks like. And so really as, as Christians, To say that we no longer live under the law does not mean that we are in rebellion to God. But instead, really, what that means is that we have a new directive. All right. And so, as he says, for the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. It wasn't about something that brings death anymore, it was about the gospel that brings life. And so, maybe you're here today and you say, okay, well, if it's not the law, and if I can't earn my way, then really, how should I live as a Christian? Like, what, is, what should be my goal? And really, Paul finishes up that and what we started with. That was really Paul's conclusion. We worked our way there. And really, this is the conclusion live through God's grace. And that is moment by moment, day by day. Now, in verse 20, this is full of God's blessings and, and really uh, lots of treasures are found here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And so we're going to look at it uh, part by part. Now, I think I know I should say I know we could take Galatians two twenty and spend like a whole Sunday on just this one verse because there's so many good things uh, here but we're just gonna touch, uh, touch several things as Paul mentions them. And the very first thing is found in the very first part of verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul saw himself as crucified with Christ as a very first thing that he, he brings up. And what do you mean by crucified with Christ? What does Paul mean when he says crucified with Christ? What Paul is talking about is his past life, his sin, his pride, his self-righteousness, all of that was paid for on the cross. His sin was crucified with Christ and he himself saw himself as crucified with Christ. So Paul's sin was paid in full. There's no more debt, all right? And so that idea of finished is is kind of like a a ledger. And so if you imagine, if, if you took like a ledger and you began to write down Every sin that you had ever done. And you started when you were young and you began to go down to your teenage years and then maybe your young adult years and then your adult years. And now maybe some of you are in the retirement years and maybe you're still writing a list and, and you're keeping an account and, and the list is very long. Well, you know what? As a Christian, at the bottom of that list, it would say this it's all been paid for through Jesus Christ, that it's not up to me to pay for the list that I have accounted for. Instead, when Christ says it is finished, it's the idea that it has been paid in full. We made a list, but at the bottom of the list, it has all been paid for by Christ. And so we are crucified with Christ. Christian, there is no way we can earn favor with God by keeping the law. Instead, it is through Jesus' payment for us, and that was paid in full. So we are crucified with Christ. The second thing we see here is in that second part of verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says, you know what? There are new priorities in my life. So Paul, at one time, his priority was himself. It was what makes me happy, what glorifies me, what makes people like me more. How can I get ahead? Paul said, you know what? It's no longer me as the center of my universe. Instead really it is Christ. And so in the life I now live in the flesh, that I I'm sorry, new priorities I almost jumped ahead there. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so that idea is, it's no longer my wants and my desires. Instead, it is Christ's wants, Christ's desires. And so the gospel took root in Paul's life. It changed Paul's life. And one way that it changed Paul's life is it changed his priorities. It was no longer about himself, but it was about Christ. Then we see that that third idea there, and that's in that third part of verse 20. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, this idea of flesh is the idea of moment by moment, it is Paul's current situation. And so when we think about what Paul is saying, past, I was crucified with Christ, I have new priorities now that I am a Christian. And then that very next thing is this idea of moment-by-moment of moment living. And how does he live moment-by-moment? Moment? In the life I now live in the flesh, that is my moment-to-moment moment living, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith. And so faith is believing God's promises. When God says, I will do this, I say, I believe it because God said he would. And so when I, when, when, when I think about salvation and, and I think about what Christ has done for me, I know that there's no way I can earn my way to salvation. Therefore, I must believe that what Christ has done is sufficient. And why? Because Christ said it was sufficient, because the Old Testament pointed to it because the writers of the New Testament point to it. And so I believe the work of the cross is sufficient. It is complete. I believe that. And Paul says, he also lives by faith in the Son of God. So how do we live? We live our Christian life by faith. We live by faith. And the very last thing is in verse 20 there. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And there's something special here that, oops, sorry. There's something special here that I didn't uh, quite pick up on uh, before, uh, but as I was studying this a little bit more, I, I picked up on, and I wanna point it out to you. I live by the faith of the Son of God who, notice what he says about Jesus Christ, who loved me and who gave himself for me. When Paul thinks about what Jesus Christ has done, he does not think about it as like a unconnected thing to his life, that Jesus Christ was going through emotion, that he was going to pay for the sins of the world, and, and that Jesus Christ did not think about him when he did that. Instead, the way that he writes this, Paul, that when he thinks about what Jesus Christ has done on his part, that he did that for him. Personally. And so it's not this idea of, well, you know what, he was just kind of going through the motions. But instead, really, it is this idea that um, Christ did it for me. And really, as we think about that, he also did it for us. This is not an impersonal transaction, but a very personal expression of love for an individual. Jesus loves me, Paul says. Jesus gave himself for me, Paul says, and the same thing is true for us. Jesus loves me as John Schmidt. and he loves you as well, and he gave himself for you. But there's also something that is true about this, which connects us to how we should live. All right, When we begin to just follow a list of do's and don'ts, we begin to go through the motions. I do this because it's the right thing to do. But we become disconnected with the reason why we do that. And so Jesus Christ was not disconnected when he died for us, it was very personal. And so when we think about living for Christ, we ought to make that a very personal thing. Our desire should be to bring Christ honor and glory that our relationship with him would continue to grow and flourish, that we would become more like Christ. That's really what our Christian life should be. It should not be trying to earn our way or a list of do's and don'ts. It really should be, how do I honor Christ today, moment by moment? I love him. I say that I love him. How do my actions show others that I love him? So that's really how our Christian life should be. People should see Christ in us because we are following after Christ, because there are actions in our life that represent him. And so we are justified in Christ. So let's review and we'll conclude today. The gospel is about justification by faith. It is not about earning God's favor through right actions. The law proves to us that we are broken. It points to us the fact that we need a Savior, we need help, and faith in Christ restores that broken relationship. Being dead to the law does not mean that we are rebelling against God. As Gentiles are sinners by default, God brought them into the church because all of their sin, past, present, and future, had been taken care of. And so the fact that we are dead to the law does not mean that we're in rebellion towards God. That just means that Jesus Christ has already paid for our sin. He has already given us his righteousness. We are justified. That is our position. We are innocent before God. Our Christian life is not to be lived through a list of do's and don'ts, though a list of do's and don'ts is not a bad thing, unless we're trying to earn favor with God. That's when it becomes the wrong thing. We can never earn favor with God. We have all Jesus Christ is the one that's earned our favor. Legalism is not the answer. Paul says there's only one way to God, and that is through justification by faith. And that is through Jesus Christ. All right. So if you're here today and and you've thought to yourself, maybe in the past or maybe in the present, that there is some other way besides faith, I want you to know that is a path that leads to destruction. That it is not through putting money in the offering plate. It's not through church membership. It's not through baptism. It's not through any rituals of the church. It's not through reading my Bible every day or praying every day, all right? Those things cannot get me into heaven. Matter of fact, there's many men who have spent a lot of time probably even more time than me, studying the word of God, and yet one day they will end up in hell. Because they have studied the word of God as literature instead of as the words of our creator. And so reading your Bible and studying your Bible is not going to get you into heaven. There is only one way, and Paul's addressed that today. That one way is justification by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can get to heaven. And So Paul is hitting that very hard to the Galatians because, again, there was this idea. The gospel is beginning, beginning to be contaminated with this idea that it's salvation plus these things. So Paul wants to make it very clear, and I want to make it very clear as well. That it's not salvation plus these things to earn favor with God. But really when Jesus Christ lived in our place and died in our place, the work was finished. God cannot love me any more than he already loves me because he sees me through Christ and not myself. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, We do thank you for this truth. Lord, if we had to live up to the law, we could never uh, fulfill all the law and try to earn our way to heaven. We would always uh, fall to sin and, and, and the trespasses of sin. But Lord, we do thank you that you have provided a way, a way through your grace. You have provided a gift to us, a gift that we must receive. And that gift is Jesus Christ. The fact that he lived in our place, the fact that he died in our place, the fact that he rose again so that he could show to us and that we would know that everything that he said was true. And so, Lord, there might be some people here that they've they've been trying to earn favor with you. Maybe they've been trying to be a good neighbor, a good person, or maybe they've been trying to give to the church. But Lord, help them to realize that legalism is not the way to you. But the only way to you is through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, there might be someone here that is a Christian, and maybe they've been running through life following the do's and don'ts of of, of the law, not to earn favor, but but just to just to know what you like and what you don't like. But Lord, help us not to do that in a disconnected way. Lord, help us to put you first. May we, may all we do be to honor and glorify you. And so Lord, help us to live a life that is would bring you honor and glory. And I know, Lord, that that is a fine line between trying to do things that, that earn favor and trying to do things that that honor you. But help us just to realize that, that we have been crucified with you, that we no longer live, but you live through us. So help us to claim what Paul claims as well, that what you have done is sufficient. And may you have the honor and glory from our lives. May truly people see Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen.